My loving pranams at the lotus feet of our beloved Bhagavan, Sairam, dear brothers and sisters. I want to, from the outset, thank the organizers of this conference. What a wonderful job you have done. Such a beautiful location. This hall is filled with the vibrations of devotion from our sisters for so many years, actually decades of devotion. Such a peaceful uh, environment in which we can spend this weekend engaged in silence. So thank you and congratulations. I also want to congratulate the devotees because I've seen many of you sincerely practicing the discipline of silence during this weekend. Silence is not merely the cessation of speech. True silence, mona in Sanskrit as it is called, true silence is the cessation of thoughts. And we'll show you how to achieve that cessation of thoughts, what I jokingly refer to as the no-mind state. We'll do that later after we uh, give you a little bit uh, more information. Now, let's review quickly what we had discussed yesterday, and then we'll review the homework that was given, and then we'll go on to this morning's topic. Yesterday, we focused on purity. We discussed how this entire creation is simply a mirror, a reflection of what is within us. And we are not able to see ourselves as God, as the God that we are, because this mirror is covered by dust, the dust of impurities. It is shaken by doubts, by our wavering mind. Sometimes we go home and we are ready to do Swami's work and we are ready to do our spiritual practice and then something happens and we get shaken up. Perhaps a family member comes and says, oh, why are you into all this religious stuff? Why are you into all this Indian stuff? And then our faith is shaken. These are the doubts, 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 which Swami says, destroy. And finally, the mirror is covered by this thick, cloth of my and mine. I remember sitting on the veranda so many times and seeing people, devotees, come to Swami saying, Swami, my wife, my child, my job, my work, my son's marriage, and it would always go on my, my, my. This is not correct, and this is not the way to utilize Swami's divine omnipresence. Let us get rid of this my, because there is nothing that is yours. Nothing belongs to you except love. That love is your only possession, and that love is your only wealth. Many times people ask me, you know, you left a prominent job, as you heard Satya describe. You were so successful in the United States. Uh, you left all that to work for Swami's Hospital in Bangalore. Don't you feel like you're missing anything? I said, we always reply, we say the wealth that we have now is far greater than whatever we had when we were here because we have Swami. We have the Lord and that is sufficient. You don't need anything else when you have that. He provides everything for you. Now, when we have these coverings, these distortions to the mirror, the impurities, the doubts, the cloth of my and mind, the ego, essentially. We have to remove them. And we discussed some of the ways yesterday in which those can be removed. We talked about the power of repeating the divine name of God. We talked about the power of service, which we'll discuss more this afternoon. And we briefly mentioned meditation as a way in which the mind can be cleansed. 
We did a little bit of that this morning and we'll do some more in today's morning session and again tomorrow. The homework was given in the context of one story of a doctor who had gone to Mother Teresa on Swami's request and had learned from her how she sees each individual that she meets. She sees everyone as Jesus Christ, her beloved Lord as Jesus. And Swami told this doctor when he came back that this is how he wants him to see every person he meets. And so the homework was several parts. The first three parts was for everyone. It was first to see every person, every one, as Swami. The second was to see everything as Swami. Many of you went on walks this morning and you had a chance to go out in nature. And nature is truly the garment of the Lord. How beautiful it is. And what a wonderful chance we have here to see everything as Swami. And then finally, to remind each thing that you see that you are also God. Hopefully you did it in a loving way. This is what I do. If I'm driving my car, let's say, I just remind it, you know, you are also God. You are also divine. We are God and everything is God. This is what I say internally because it reminds me of that truth. It reminds me of the truth. Everything is consciousness. Consciousness alone exists. That's all. There's nothing else. Just consciousness. There is a second level to the homework for those who wish to go deeper into the practice. And at that second level, you were asked to love everything as Swami. So to love each person as Swami. And then the final level of the homework was to lose yourself in that love. Because when you lose that I, all that is left is Sai. That's all. You go from the form, where everything is form, name and form, name and form, to that formless, and it can be done through love. So with that, now it's your chance to tell me and tell us and to share what you learned from this homework. So first we'll ask for volunteers, and then I'll pick people to speak. Usually I will pick people who are looking down. Okay. <laughs> so everyone pay attention. All right. So who would like to share? ones that I found most interesting and challenging were the last two of loving everyone as Swami because I found when I did that all of the, the usual tapes that run in the head about that person and about myself and about anything that might possibly be connected with us came into view and came into question. Um, and the more I attempted to focus on the love, the louder they yelled. And when I went to dissolve myself in that love, they just yelled and screamed for their existence. Because I, what I saw was those two states of either believing in the separation and all of what was going on in, in the mind, or being dissolved in the love are mutually exclusive. You can't have both of them. It's one or the other. 
and dissolving in the love is just so much more fun mm -hmm. and so much nicer. But it was just fascinating to watch the other rebel. Good. Those are old memories, old, tab old habits, old tendencies that are playing themselves out. But practice and they will dissolve too, just like you are dissolving into that love. Very good. Thank you. Sairam. This gentleman here. Sairam. Dissolving in love, uh, everybody we want to love and uh, we want to love all the great people and uh, and that stage when we go, we want to keep the great person in the position with with us. So how how do we overcome on that stage? All how do we overcome this this ability to to keep loving? Is that your question? And now when we are when we want to love with other great people and we want to be with them and uh, and we develop the position with them and want to spend more time and want to be with them more and uh, that attachment comes how to overcome that attachment sure. how to come overcome that attachment so let me uh, take you through this focus on your left foot for a moment you just stay as you are and you can all do this exercise with me focus on your left foot okay what is your foot doing it's just as it is, right? It's doing its job as being a left foot. Is it separate from you? No. Is it distinct from you? It is a part of you, correct? It is a part of you. So also, in this spiritual practice of loving, you learn to see each one and each thing as a part of you. Even though they may be separate, your foot, before I mentioned it to you, your foot was nowhere in your consciousness, correct? None of you were thinking about your left foot until I mentioned it. Yet it is still very much a part of who you are, at least your physical body. So also, all of these names and forms, all of these beings that we have are simply a part of you. They're not distinct from you in any way. You are not separate from me and I am not separate from you. We are one and the same. We are parts of each other. We are just different aspects of each other. In that way, you can love and continue to love and continue to feel that you are always with that person because you're never separated. It's always one, okay? There's a lady in red checks in the front wearing glasses. What I felt was, um, from the last two exercises, that I didn't want to harm the earth in any way. I didn't want to harm, everything was alive, and I didn't want to harm anything. So I, I, I had the feeling that Swami must have when he walks so gently on the earth, that, you, that if everything is God, um, it's alive and filled with God, and you don't want to harm it. Good. So there is a sense of harmlessness. Nonviolence comes from love, correct? Now, what I have learned from my practice, I'll just share with you, is that this is all fine and good, 
when you're in a beautiful retreat center and everything is happy, and there's no traffic, nobody is uh, honking at you because the light has turned green, etc., etc., etc. There's no boss uh, giving you deadlines and all that. But can you do this when you're in your workplace, when you're at your home, when your in-laws have come over? Yeah? That is the real challenge. You see, all of our relationships, Swami once shared with me, so all of our relationships are simply opportunities to share love. They're just opportunities to share love. So whether it's your boss, someone in your neighborhood, your uh, child's friend, or perhaps a classmate who's bullying your child, or whatever it is, they're all opportunities to share love. Sometimes in that love, we have to be strict. We have to be disciplined. Sometimes we even have to pretend to get angry without actually getting angry. This is part of the play. It's part of the game. But can you love that person as if they are Swami? Can you lose yourself in love for everything that is there? You mentioned not wanting to hurt anything. You mentioned feeling a part of everything. You described how you were blocked by your preconceived notions of how that person is or should be. These will all go as you continue to practice. You'll go deeper and deeper into the practice. I think we have time for one more comment. So let's, uh, yes, sir, Jack, in the red shirt in the front, please. The difference between a shaman and a schizophrenic is the shaman doesn't speak to his voices in public. I heard that once. My experience with Swami is universal loving presence. And if I'm experiencing everyone here as Swami, it's very difficult for me not to smile and to recognize their extraordinariness. So my question for you, Dr. Dr. Sola, is what is your prescription for casserole faces? <laughs> You know, sometimes I wonder, you know, like we go to Puttaparthi almost every weekend. We're lucky because we're in Bangalore. Our son studies in Swami school. We try to go on Saturdays and stay there, have darshan of the Mahasamadhi, uh, and then after seeing our son return on Sunday. And so many times I see people going around, not only in, in the ashram, but everywhere like this. <laughs> Interestingly, in Swami's hospital, you will see people walking around like this. like that. That's the, the bliss of being inside, the joy of being inside. When I go to other hospitals to speak or to see patients or for whatever it is, I see people like this. The only prescription is love. Love brings joy. Love brings peace. Love brings confidence. Love brings the truth. Love is sufficient. Swami once said, love alone exists. Love alone exists. The reflection of love is divinity. That's all there is. That's all there is, and there's nothing else. Just love, love, love. So the solution to every issue is always in love. It doesn't mean you have to go and hug your enemies and say, oh, I love you. It's not that. But it's always going to be found in love, in some form of love, in some fashion of love, through some manifestation of love. That's all. The solution to every problem 
is in love. Now, in today's session, we are going to focus on achieving love as a way of expressing our self-realization. Self-realization, Swami says, is the knowledge that you are God and that nothing exists other than God at any time and at any place. This is the definition of self-realization. There are actually three types of self-realization, Swami says, and I'll describe these to you now. The first type, Swami says, is the temporary type of self-realization. This is the type that most people can achieve. It's the type that you see with most, most uh, spiritual aspirants, most uh, Swamiji's, sadhus, uh, monks, etc. This is the temporary kind in which during peaks of sadhana or spiritual practice, one achieves a higher state of awareness and touches on self-realization. And during that time, the devotee or the spiritual aspirant realizes that they are God and all that exists is God. This is a temporary type. There is a second type, which is the uh, intellectual type. Swami describes this as which the devotee actually does not have the full experience of being God, but they believe with all of their heart and mind that everything is God. They know it, they just haven't experienced it yet. That is the intellectual type of self-realization. The importance of this type is as I described yesterday. Once, when we were with Swami, we asked him, Swami, please bless us with full and complete self-realization. To which Swami replied, self-confidence is the foundation, self-satisfaction are the walls, self-sacrifice is the roof, and then you have self-realization. Simple, he said. It starts with self-confidence, and this intellectual type of self-realization is actually very important because it provides you with the confidence that you are the God-self, that you are Sai, that you are the Atman, that you are the divine soul, that Nirvana exists in you, that you are the light. So let us start here, and the first homework I'm going to give you we're going to do this before, see, we have an hour's break before the next session, about an hour and a half, let's say. So the first homework I'm going to give you is to repeat 200 times, I am Sai. Okay, that's the first homework that you're going to receive, I am Sai, 200 times. You don't have to count. I expect you to do it actually three or 400 times, but <laughs> you see I'm giving you a, a, a certain level at which to achieve. Don't do it three, four times and say, hi, I didn't feel anything, okay? So at least 200 times, I am Sai. After you do this, see what happens to your consciousness. See what happens to the way that you feel. Look inside yourself and see what is happening, and you will see that it is changed, simply by doing this practice. All of you just now chanted the Gayatri Mantra 108 times. What would happen if you chanted it as if you were the Gayatri. What is Gayatri? Gayatri is that universal brilliance, the force that illuminates the whole creation. What if you chanted, Om Bhurpuvasuvaha, as if you are that? Can we do it now? Can we do it three times? Do you have a harmonium that you can play for us? We're going to chant Gayatri three times, and then we'll have silence. 
chant it as if you are that Gayatri simply expressing yourself through the power of the mantra. Okay? So let's chant along together. from the audience what happened. So, Madam in the front. So, Susan, can you give her a microphone, please? Confidence, but totally overwhelmed. Mm. Yeah. Gratitude, love. Yes, very good, very good. See, this is intellectual self-realization. It's not a mere thought. It's actually all-powerful. Self-confidence. When you have self-confidence, you will have self-satisfaction. And when you have self-satisfaction, you will have self-sacrifice. What are you sacrificing? You're sacrificing your my and mind. You're sacrificing your ego, your bad qualities. You're sacrificing your convenience. You're sacrificing what you are because everything to you is, is you. It's yourself. It's not different from you. And then when you have self-sacrifice, you will automatically gain full and complete self-realization. Simple, right? So start with self-confidence. The next homework will be what we just did. For the rest of this weekend, whenever you chant, whenever you sing, whenever you pray, I want you to stop praying to something else. 
I want you to allow the prayers and allow the songs to come from the God within you, the God self that you are, the Sai that you are. We did it just now, and many of you felt how powerful a practice this can be. Okay? This is a second homework. When you chant, when you sing, when you speak, when you, whatever it is, let it come from the God self within you. At first, practice with just the chanting and the prayers, the songs, the bhajans, and then extend it to all the other practices and all the other activities that you do. That's the more advanced level. Okay, are we clear on this homework? First be clear, then everything else will follow automatically. So that's the those are two homeworks already that we've covered. And we've covered now the temporary type of self-realization, the intellectual type of self-realization, which is so important because it gives us self-confidence. Swami says something else, though, that is very important. I want you to understand this. Swami says that in the Kali Yuga, that is this present age in which we are in, Swami says that those who ascribe to the intellectual type of self-realization will also be given liberation. And that is the special grace of this time. So I've just given you everything you need for liberation. Right? Understand? This practice is very, 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 very important. Very important. The third type of self-realization is the permanent kind. This is the type in which the soul is always in that state of awareness that everything is God and nothing exists other than God. For such beings, everything to them is God. And there is nothing, simply nothing. There's nothing to be done. There's nothing to experience. There's nothing to want. There's nothing to not want. There's nothing to like. There's nothing to not like. There's nothing to acquire. And there is nothing to push away. Because everything is the self. For such beings, there is no birth and there is no death. This type of awareness is itself the death of death. And it's very simple. It's very simple to achieve. But what most people think, they make this mistake. They think that self-realization is like a destination, as if you push a button and you are going on the elevator to the fifth floor and you say, ding, we've reached self-realization. It's not like that. Self-realization is like imagination. It is endless. Endless. There's no end to the level of self-realization one can achieve. As long as you have a physical form, as long as the God-self that you are has engaged in some form or another, self-realization is endless. It just goes on and on and on. And it's just beautiful. Aspire for that. All of you can reach it. It's within the palm of your hand. Already you've received everything you need to achieve that state. Now, there's only one thing, actually, that you need for self-realization. It starts with self-confidence, and it ends with self-sacrifice. And what happens is that in that time, what ha you achieve silence. That's why we're here for the silent retreat. Earlier I told you that silence is not merely the cessation of speech. It is the cessation of thought as well. And all of our spiritual practices, whether it is service, 
whether it is love, devotion, whether it is wisdom, meditation, and other types of inquiry-based practices. They all lead, Swami says, they all lead to the state of silence. And in that silence, you will know that you are God and everything is God. How to achieve this silence? For that, you have to do your sadhana. You have to do your spiritual practice. What type of spiritual practice? That depends on you. There are seven plus billion people on this planet and how many more we don't know elsewhere. That means there are that many number of spiritual paths to God realization. But they all focus on these three basic truths, love, service, and wisdom. These three basic paths. The simplest way to identify how far or how much attainment a being has attained is to look at how much they are able to love unconditionally and how much they are able to serve selflessly. That's the only criterion, nothing else. It doesn't matter if you meditate 16 hours a day, if you live to be 500 years old, if you live in a cave and stand on your head, none of those things matter. How much love and how much service. Love all, serve all. That's all that matters. And all of the spiritual practice will in the end lead to these two things only, to loving all and serving all. That's it. There's really nothing else. That's why Swami says, love all, serve all. This is the first teaching, and this is the last teaching. There's nothing beyond that. Let's understand, though, that when we talk about sadhana, most of us think about doing. Again, what we discussed yesterday, as long as you think you are doing, you are in the mind state. When you're in the Swami state, in the God state, there is no need to do anymore. Everything becomes being. And whatever is required to take place will happen automatically. Yes, suppose you have to take a trip. You will still book your airline tickets online. You will still go to the grocery store to prepare for everything. You will still take care of all the logistical things that we have to do. But it will come from the sai rather than the I. And it will happen just beautifully. It will happen effortlessly. Now, I have to share an example here, a personal uh, example from my own life. I find that for me, if I am paced and if I am poised, it is very easy for me to maintain that high state of awareness. But I feel that whenever I get rushed or whenever I get tired, I start to lose it. I start to lose that awareness. My wife would add, she said, honey, it's also whenever you get hungry as well. But most of us will probably do the same thing. And so what I would suggest to you is to be aware, right? Baba means to be alert and to be aware. So be aware of when you go into these states where you're more vulnerable to losing it, to losing that awareness. When you're tired, when you're hungry, when you're stressed out, when there's a hundred things to be done all at the same time, those are the times when you're most vulnerable. And at that point, what, what my practice is, is to just take a time out. <sighs> Stop for a few moments. It hardly takes 10 seconds. Reconnect inside with the Swami within. Ask him, what is his will? What is your will? And then act from that. Because the mind will always tell me that there's so many things I have to do. There's so many patients waiting to see. I've got to go and read these scans. The operating theater is calling me. They need the help with a particular patient, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It goes on and on and on. There's so many projects waiting to be attended to and so on. 
It will always be like that. There's always work to be done. That's the nature of being in a physical form on this plane. There's always work to do. We are bound to work. We cannot escape from it. So when that happens, take a break. Just take a quick time out. Just connect with Swami and ask him, what is your will? And when you've reconnected with him, then proceed. If you're not connected with Swami, don't proceed because, it, at least in my experience, it ends up in disaster. It ends up with me losing that awareness, losing that balance, and coming out of that state of that awareness. And this is a small personal example that I want to share with you, and I hope you can understand this, right? Is that, do you, does that make sense? Okay, good. Let's do another practice. Okay, so all of us sit up straight. Spiritual practice is 90% inquiry, Swami says. It's not doing, it's asking, it's inquiry. And so this practice we're going to do is simply to ask, who am I? Who am I? And so let's all just close our eyes gently. Let's take a few breaths in to settle ourselves into inner silence. Breathe in deeply for a few moments so that you're quiet inside. And then we're going to ask the question, what I'd like you to do after asking is to simply allow the answer to come to you. You don't have to force anything. You don't have to try to achieve anything. Simply allow the answer to come. Breathe in deeply for a few more moments. And then whenever you're ready, just ask very quietly within yourself, who am I? Who am I? If a thought comes, ask yourself, who is having this thought? What is this thought? Who am I? And now let's keep looking within ourselves again. And let us ask, let us ask, where do I begin and where do I end? Where do I begin and where do I end? Take a deep breath in and out and allow the answer to come to you.
look around and see, are you able to find a beginning? Are you able to find an end? Wonderful, wonderful. Let's gradually come back. So let's hear some comments from the audience again. What happened when you were doing that? If I can get the mics, please. Who would like to volunteer? There in the back on the lady's side. If you can keep your hands raised so that the Sevadal can find you. Saira. First, when I asked the question, who am I? Mm -hmm. I got the answer like, you are the God within. But I just want to know, how can we distinguish between the voice of the monkey mind? Is it the monkey mind telling me? Or it's the high sea which is answering to me? So when the voice came, was it loving? Was it sweet? Was it kind or was it doubtful? Was it changing? Was it putting you down or putting you above anything else? Was it what you would expect Swami to tell you or was it different than what Swami might physically say to you? Those are the criteria by which you can judge. Oh, okay. So the voice is definitely it's quiet and kind. Yes, can we do it again? Let's yes. do it again and I'll show you, okay? Okay. Let's go ahead and do this again. So let's ask again. Let's breathe in first. We always need to settle ourselves before we do these types of practices. And the simplest way to do this is to breathe in and out deeply three times. Breathe in God's love and breathe out God's love. And when you're ready, again, go ahead and ask, who am I? And when you get an answer, ask, who is this? that is providing this answer to me? Where is this answer coming from? 
And if you get another answer that ends or starts with an I, again ask yourself, but who is this I? Very good. And let's come back now. So in this practice, you don't just ask one time, because you may or may not get an answer. You keep digging deeper, keep digging deeper. You may ask, who am I, and get a feeling or some type of answer. Where is this answer coming from? Who is the one that is giving me this answer? Who is this I? Right? Does that make sense? So you don't have to stop and say, is this my monkey mind or is this Swami? It's irrelevant. Who is the one that is telling me this? Where is that coming from? This is what I mean when I say that 90% of sadhana is actually inquiry, self-inquiry. Not outside inquiry. It's self-inquiry, inside. As Swami said, we're willing to go hundreds of thousands of miles to go to the moon, but we refuse to budge even one inch to go within ourselves but it's all inside of ourselves. There's nothing outside of you, nothing at all. I think the sister next to you also had a comment, so we can get the mic uh, back to that side, please. Sairam, uh, for the question, who am I? Uh, I got the answer like, you are you. Uh, I didn't quite follow it. So did you go deeper? Yes, yes. I asked, you are, I mean, um, I went in deeper, it said, I am within you, so... Who is the I? Who? That is just Swami who is residing within me. But did you experience that? Yes, yes. Later on, after asking few questions, I felt right. Sai within me answering. Right. So. Otherwise, it could be Ronald McDonald, right? <laughs> Who is this I? Keep asking, keep asking. Who is this I? Swami says, I am you. Who is you and who is the I? Right? Where do I begin and where do I end? What happened when you asked that question? Does anyone want to say? Susan, just in front of you on your right, please. Where do you begin and where do you end? So when I, Sairam, uh, when I posed this question, um, I felt there was an endless ocean. I couldn't, I couldn't see anything beginning, nothing ending. Yes. Uh. Beautiful, just beautiful. That's it. There is no beginning and there is no end. You are that endless one, formless one, nameless one. Thank you. One more comment from the gentleman in green. I heard I am God, and then my monkey mind said, it, it isn't that easy. <laughs> it is that easy. Yeah. And, and then I let go of that, and when you said, where's the beginning, where it ends, I went to a place of deep tranquility, it was like a, an ocean of white light, and I didn't even want to come back. And then when you started it again and said, go there again, 
the, it changed into like a blue light, but there was no, no words. My question would be, I like staying there. But then when I stand back up, it's like I'm putting on a, I'm putting something on and wearing it again, and it feels heavy. And there it feels infinite. Right. I used to ask this question. I would ask anyone I could meet who I thought had self-realization, why do we have to come out of that state? Why can't we just stay like that all the time? Ah, like that. You know? That's right. When you have that, that feeling, when you go into that state, it's just like, ah, right? For most of you, it's just like, ah. That's the easiest way to, if I could put it in words, that's the easiest way to identify it. Now, let's, let's, I'm not going to take any more comments. We're going to go on in, in the talk. What I want you to do for the homework, the third homework, and this one we're going to continue until tomorrow. Actually, you should continue at every moment of your life, is to ask, who am I? Who am I? And ask, where do I begin and where do I end? That's enough. That will give you the answer. It will show you the truth. And when you get an answer, keep digging deeper. Keep digging deeper. If you get the response, I am God, who is this I that is saying this? Keep going deeper. Once uh, one of my friends was in Brindavan campus in the early part of the last decade, and he was sitting in the second or third row, and Swami came to speak with a devotee who was sitting in the first row. Now, Swami has this ability that if he doesn't want you to hear what he's saying, even if you're sitting five feet away, you won't be able to hear him. And so this devotee and Swami had a long conversation, and my friend could hear nothing of what was said until the very end, when Swami said, free will, there is no free will. The only free will you have is to identify yourself with the body or to identify yourself with God. That's it. Once you identify yourself with the body, you're in prison, you're in jail, you're jailed by the ego. What happened when you asked that question, where do I begin and where do I end? Did you identify with the body anymore? No, right? The body was no longer there. There was no body. You were that universal form, the universal sigh, endless, without beginning, without end. This is how you can go beyond the ego. You can, you know, we're so interested in jailbreaking our iPhones and all this, right? This is how you jailbreak the ego. Where do I begin and where do I end? It's enough. Who am I? This practice is enough. You don't have to do anything else. Yes, please don't do all those bad things we talked about yesterday, but you have, this practice is sufficient. This practice is sufficient. Understand that Anything that has name and form, Swami says, is all illusion. Anything that has a beginning or an end, Swami says, is all illusion. There is nothing except pure consciousness. There is nothing except pure self. There is nothing except pure love. And I hope that you had a chance to experience at least a glimmer of this in this practice. Did you experience it? Yeah, you. Did you, did you have a chance? No, in front, in front. She's looking behind because she doesn't want to answer. <laughs> behind Kusuma, Dr. Kusuma. Yes. What happened? Uh, can you the what did you experience? When? Just now, during the practices. Um, it was interesting. Were you sleeping? I, 
So then why did you come here? Um, I guess to do... Is there any time other than the present moment? No, there's nothing. It exists only in your mind. It exists only in your mind. Can you do it again? Do it again. Go close your eyes. And ask yourself, breathe in deeply first. Settle yourself in silence. Forget about the past and forget about the future. These are all illusion. Let go of all your tension. Let go of all your stress. And ask yourself again, this is the practice to keep asking, who am I? And don't stop until you get an answer. If you get an answer, keep going. Good, now let's come back. So now what happened? I told you, people who are looking down, I'm going to ask them first, right? What happened? That's all mind. It's all mind. All mind. That's all mind stuff. When you know that you are the truth, you will, beyond, you will be beyond name and form. There is no doubting at that point. Do any of you on this side of the room have to think whether you are a female? Does anyone on this side of the room have to think that they are a male? No. You just know it. You just know. In the same way, when you know that you are the self, you will simply know. When you ask, who am I? You will keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. Go beyond the mind. I'm laying out all of the truths here for you, making it so simple for you. Why are you wasting this opportunity? Where will you get this opportunity again? Swami says you have to have lived at least one million births in order to be even interested in what I'm talking about today. One million births. If you're not interested, you can either come back after a few hundred thousand more births or you can take advantage of this time right now. Don't waste this opportunity. Do you understand? Okay. Any more doubts? Anyone else looking down?
I need to give you a few precautions about the spiritual path. And there are two or three that I want to go over. The first is, have you noticed that some people who are on the spiritual path, especially if they lack the, pers- the, the close personal attention of someone who has already realized the truth, have you ever noticed that they become a little bit odd? Yeah? Yeah? Yeah, a few of you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, they'd become a little bit strange, a little bit uh, eccentric, uh, odd, I think is the best way to describe them. See, in the traditional yogic practice, the path is one in which you have a teacher, a master, someone who has already achieved or realized the truth, and that person is taken as a guru. Guru means one who dispels darkness, one who dispels ignorance. That person has already been there, done that, and will help you to go through this, go through the path. We all do this all the time. How many of you have logged on to travel websites such as TripAdvisor and other sites to look at a particular place that you are planning to go to? Everybody has done it, right? We all want to know what is there, what to expect, what hotels and restaurants to avoid, what hotels and restaurants are good, what places are worth seeing, etc., etc., etc. The guru does the same thing, except he's a spiritual tourist. He takes you down the path to self-realization. What I see many times is that people who lack this personal attention, lack this personal discipline, boy, they become really odd. Right? And we've all seen this many, many times. There are a few things I need to talk about. First of all, you have to be practical. You have to be practical. You have to have common sense. It's said that common sense is not so common, and it's very true, especially on the spiritual path. This is why the Sai organization is so wonderful, because it gives us a series of guidelines to follow so that the odd people are sort of weeded out or they're sort of kept on the side, you know, and we all love them very much, uh, but they're not allowed to become too odd, right? So we, we need to follow, just like the river has two banks on either side to channelize its energy. We need to follow the guidelines. We need to follow the disciplines. We need to follow the practices sincerely and with discipline so that we don't become odd. We don't become eccentric. We don't become crazy. That means we have moderation in our food. We neither eat too much. We neither eat too little. We have moderation in our exercise. We neither exercise too much, nor we exercise too little. We walk, we do yoga, we do whatever it is. We are practicing. We practice our sadhana, but if you're working in society, it's probably not possible for you to meditate six hours a day. I would love to, but I can't because I'm working so much in Swami's hospital. For me, my work has become my worship. So we need to channelize our energies in a disciplined way and avoid becoming odd, okay? The second thing I want to uh, warn you about is this tendency by some people who are on the spiritual path to look down upon those or look down upon that which is not spiritual, right? All of you know what I'm talking about. We say, I cannot watch that type of TV program because it is not good for me, or I cannot eat this type of food because uh, something, something, something. We all do this. That person is not spiritual. I cannot go to their house, What have you just done? (laughs) Separation. Separation, right? Separation. 
You've made them something else, and you've made yourself something else. You've placed yourself higher than something else. But there is nothing that is above you. There is nothing that is below you. Everyone and everything is a part of yourself. If you are seeing someone as being better or less than you, you are in Maya. You are stuck in Maya. Never judge, never criticize. The moment you point a finger at someone else, three fingers are pointing back at you. When you send a negative thought or a negative word or impulse towards something else, it comes back to you, boomeranged, seven times over. So get rid of this tendency to look down upon anyone or anything. What I do, this is my practice, because I'm, I'm very sensitive to energy, to people's thoughts, to people's emotions, to the vibration of a particular place, is before I used to find that it was very difficult for me to go out. In fact, there was an 18-month period in which Swami physically told us not to step out of the house, not to step out of our campus, Swami's campus in Whitefield, except to come to his ashram or to see our son or to go to my wife's home in Hyderabad, which is a very loving environment. And we were just too sensitive. We would just simply walk by and then pick up whatever emotions or thoughts that people were having. It was too much for us. Now what has happened is we've learned to deal with it. And how do we deal with it? What's the most powerful force in all of creation? Love. Love. So when we see someone as being different or distinct or separate from ourselves, our very first response is to send them love. Unconditional, pure love. And that immediately dispels whatever weirdness or strangeness that we're feeling. It immediately tones down the situation so that it becomes a situation of love rather than a situation of strife or difficulty. And that love is all that you need. It's enough. That love is enough. Are you looking down or are you listening? Okay. All of you pay attention because it's very uncommon for you to get us, for any, uh, very uncommon to have this type of conversation, very uncommon for you to have this type of uh, sharing going on, right? Right, is that true? Yeah? So all of you pay attention. Don't lose this opportunity because you won't get it again. What happens tomorrow? None of your concern. What happens right now? That's all you need to pay attention to. Now, when you see something as being different from yourself, understand that everything in creation is reflection, reaction, and resound. Swami has said this in many, many, many discourses. Nobody understands it. Very few devotees understand what this means. And I'm going to spend the last few minutes of this session talking about this. Reflection, reaction, resound. This is a reflective universe. Whatever you send out is reflected back to you. If you want love, you have to be love. If you want peace, you have to be peace. Whatever you are seeing, feeling, thinking, or hearing from someone else is what you have already sent out through your thoughts, your feelings, your words, your impulses, and is simply being reflected back to you. Every relationship is this only. It is your own reflection. If you're having a disharmonious or a difficult relationship, the answer has nothing to do with the other person. The answer is in you. What is it in me that is causing this situation to arise? That's the very first question I have. Whenever I come across any difficulty, hmm, everything is reflection, reaction, and resound. So Swami, what is it in me that's causing this situation to come up? 
Is it something I said, something I, I thought, something I felt? And many times I don't know the answer. I don't know. I may not be able to figure it out. The crowded streets in Bangalore, the traffic jam, I don't know. But it's coming to my attention. Therefore, there is something in me that is being reflected back to me. Now, if I can correct it, I will immediately do so. If I'm not able to figure it out, then I have this simple practice that I follow. I'm going to share this with you now. This comes from the Hawaiian, Hawaiian spiritual tradition from the state of Hawaii here in the U.S. And it uses four simple phrases, which I'm going to share with you. Please learn this. The first statement is, I love you. I'm just saying this to creation because everything is reflection. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. I love you. I don't know what I did. I don't know what it is in me. I don't care what it is in me, but I love you. And I'm sorry for whatever it is. Please forgive me. Thank you for this lesson. Thank you for this opportunity. I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. These four statements I probably repeat 200 times a day because I don't know what it is in someone else. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is in you that caused you to drift off into some other place. It was something in me, right? Otherwise, it would not have come to my attention. It has nothing to do with you, right? Has, see, she wasn't paying attention for a few minutes, and I'm not picking on you, but actually I am. So for me, what you were doing and what I saw has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with me. So what is it in me that's causing someone to drift off like this? Probably thinking about her boyfriend, I think. No, right? <laughs> Close. So the question, again, has nothing to do with her. What is it in me? I don't know, but I love you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Thank you. You may not have to go physically to that person and say it. In fact, most of the time, if you say it, they will either punch you in the face or they'll think you're crazy. <laughs> so what my practice is simply to say it within myself because everything is reflection, reaction, resound. That person is simply a reflection of you. The traffic jam is simply a reflection of you. Everything is reflection, reaction, resound. Swami says, the cleanliness of the home is a reflection of the purity of the individuals who live there. So if you go to a home and you see that it is a pigsty, you know the purity of the individuals who live there. That's why Swami says if you want to know about the inhabitants of a home, simply go to their bathroom. Right? The cleanliness of the home is a reflection of the purity of the individuals who live there. The leadership of any country or of any organization is simply a reflection of the individuals who make up that country or that organization. The consciousness of the leadership of any organization or country is simply a reflection of the mass consciousness of the people who are in that country or that organization. The external pollution that we see every day all around us in our air, in our water, in our land, in our food is simply a reflection of the inner pollution that is within all of us. Do you see how this works? Reflection, reaction, resound. That's all there is. Everything is reflection, reaction, resound. Actually, Swami once said, these are his exact words, actually, 
There is no creation. There is only reflection. There is no creation. There is only reflection. Whatever you see is what you are sending out and is being reflected back to you through creation, through your relationships, through that chance encounter with someone who is sitting next to you. Are you getting irritated by the person who is coughing next to you? What is it in you that is causing that irritation? Let's look at some physical examples. As a physician, I see this all the time. Why do people get diabetes? Let's say, let's take diabetes as an example. Because there's something in them that is being reflected back out into creation, and then it boomerangs back on them, and it manifests somewhere, right? has to manifest somewhere. I'll tell you something Swami once said. He said, every thought that you have is manifested on some plane of creation or the other. Every thought that you have is manifested on some plane of creation or the other. If you understand the law of reflection properly, if you understand reflection, reaction, resound properly, you will never have any negative thought. Do you understand? Because it's going to come right back to you. So let's take diabetes again. Diabetes, what happens? People who have diabetes, there are several different possibilities. One is they lose the sweetness in their life. The second is they have a tendency to try to control everything in their life. This is how it works. Cancer, resentment, anger. Thyroid problems, frustration, frustrated creativity, Frustration. This is how it is. Um, baldness. <laughs> Tension. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Heart attacks. Something I see all the time as a cardiologist. Loss of joy. Loss of joy. People who need bypass operation, angioplasty surgery. Loss of joy. The blood is the joy that is flowing through our bodies, the joy of being in God, of God, from God. And when that joy in our lives stops, when it gets blocked, it becomes a heart attack. Parkinson's disease, excessive control. Excessive control. Trying to control every small thing in our life. So everything is reflection, reaction, Resound. Whatever we are sending out is automatically coming back to us. It impacts our health, it impacts our well-being, it impacts our relationships. If you have a, harmo- if you have a difficult relationship, let's say you're having a problem with a relationship, the first question to ask is not why is he or she being a jerk. What is it in me that is being reflected back to me in this relationship? Every person has within them the potential to be behave like a saint or to behave like a sinner, right? They can, you've all seen people who are just beautiful at one moment and crappy the next moment. How they behave with you has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with you. So what is it within me? And if you don't know, and most of the times you won't know, just say, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you. Okay? Reflection, reaction, Resound. This is how it works. Everything is a reflection. So the, now we've had how many homeworks so far? Can you just summarize? <laughs> I think three already. This will be the fourth one. See, she was complaining about homework earlier. Now you guys are going to feel the same thing. Okay, so the first homework was what? Yes. 
And you saw how powerful it is. The first homework is to chant, to pray, to sing, as if the God that you are pouring your adoration out to is within yourself, as if it's coming from you. When you chant at the Gayatri Mantra, when you change the way and you chant, as if you are Gayatri chanting that Bur Bhuvasuvaha, that is what you are. See how powerful it became. That's the first homework. Okay? The second homework. Uh, the first homework, yes. The first homework, I'm sorry. Let's back up. The first homework is to repeat I am Sai at least 200 times between now and 1.30, okay? when we, or 1.45 when we meet again. So between now and 145, 200 times, I am Sai. You can say it fast, you can say it slow, but when you say it, I want you to incorporate the second homework. It is not, uh, uh, sorry, what's your name, Ashley? So it's not that Ashley down before us is saying, Ashley, I am Sai. Ashley, I am Sai. Oh, my cell phone is ringing, I am Sai. Ashley, I am Sai. That's not what we're saying. Swami, that you are, the Sai that you are is saying, I am Sai. Do you see the difference? Okay, this is what I want. I am Sai, 200 times at least. 300, 400, 1,000, fine. All the better, you'll get grace points for that. So number one is I am Sai. Number two is to chant, sing, and pray as if you are that to which you are praying to. The third homework? Who am I? Where do I begin? And where do I end? Remember, if it has name and form, it's all illusion. If it has beginning or end, it is all illusion. The only thing that exists is the self. There is no creation, there is only reflection. So that's the three homeworks that I've given you, right? Can we add one more homework? It's not too much? All right. You, can, you don't have to do everything between now and lunchtime, but I'd like you to work on at least the, the first one or perhaps the second and third of these, or the third and fourth one especially. The uh, last homework is to look at all of your relationships in your life. This is going to take some time or to look at least at the problem areas in your life and to see what is being reflected back to you. What is being reflected back to you? Let's say that you have an illness, okay? Let's say that there's some part of your body that is out of balance. Let's say you've got back pain, you've got a knee ache, your, uh, your hair is falling out, whatever it is. Where is in your life? See, every health problem reflects an area in your life that is devoid of love, right? Every health issue that you face is simply a reflection of some part of you that is devoid of love. So for this fourth homework, the homework is to look at all the relationships or manifestations in your life that are not as you would like them to be, and to ask yourself, what is being reflected through this person or situation back to me? You're going back to yourself. You're not blaming the other person. You're not blaming yourself either. You're not putting yourself down. You're saying, I'm bad because I'm so lousy. That's why the situation is like this. Boo-hoo. You're not doing all that. You're simply saying, what is the lesson here for me? What can I learn from this situation? And then you're going within and finding the answer. And the answer will always be based on one thing. What is it? Love. It will always be based in love. There's nothing except love. Love alone exists, Swami says. The reflection of love is divinity. So are we clear on these four homeworks? It's quite a bit, but as you can see, each one is very important. Who am I? Chant as if 
you are that from which you are chanting to. Chanting I am Sai at least 200 times. And then looking within. This is inquiry. Remember, 90% of sadhana is inquiry. Looking within and looking at all of your relationships, all of your life situations, and finding out what is being reflected back to me. Where in my life is there something devoid of love? And then finding that solution through love. Any last questions on the homework before we break? Yes, sir. or a reality that we can control our mind. But some amongst us don't have a mind in the first place, a brain that's fully capable of doing that. Some amongst us have a brain that just does whatever it wants and there is absolutely no way to control whatever thoughts come in, whatever thoughts go out, whatever is going on in it. How do we deal with that? It's a wonderful question. Wonderful question. I think, uh, do you want to know the answer now or do you want to wait until after lunch? No? You all want to live in the present? Okay. All right. So the question is, how do we deal with the mind? How do we deal with the monkey mind? Right? Because it's a terrible monkey. And Swami says, not just any monkey, a mad monkey. There are different ways, there are different tools, and I'm going to give you five or six different ways to deal with the mind, and you can choose and pick which ones work well for you. I use all of them. I use all of these techniques. The first one is to give the thought to Swami. We did that this morning in the meditation. We gave all of our baggage to Swami, all of our burdens we gave to Swami. So the first thing, the first way is to simply give it. A thought comes to your mind, I don't know where that came from. I don't know where it, what happened. I'm just going to give it to you, Swami. You take care of it. And use, it your, use your own words. But the first thing is to give it to Swami. The second way is to breathe out the thought. See, we breathe in so much, we breathe out. What do we breathe out? Carbon dioxide, all the air, the stale air that we no longer need. We can also breathe out the thoughts and feelings and emotions that we no longer need, whether it's anger, disappointment, sadness, or some random thought. Let's try this now, okay? So let's breathe in for a few moments. As always, we breathe in deeply, in and out, at least three times to settle the body. So let's go ahead and settle ourselves. And just watch and allow a thought to surface. And when that thought surfaces, breathe it out. And as you're breathing it out, you can either give it back to Swami or you can breathe it out and you can offer it to an imaginary fire, like a sacrificial fire, so that the thought is burned and consumed in that fire, whatever you feel comfortable with. When a thought comes, breathe it out. Throw it into the fire. 
Okay, good. Let's come back. That's all. It just takes a moment to do that. You can do it when you're working, when you're driving, when you're walking. You can do it when you're having any activity. The next way is to what, what uh, we call the chalkboard technique or the blackboard technique. You can see the thought or the image or whatever it is. Let's say it's a lustful thought or an angry thought or a greedy thought or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Put it on the chalkboard, and then in your inner space, in your mind's eye, you can think, feel, visualize, or imagine that that thought is being erased by a giant hand, by Swami's hand. Just erase it away, because you no longer need it. That's called a chalkboard technique. The next technique is to imagine a tape measure. You know those tape measures that carpenters have, those square metal cases, and you pull out the tape to measure. It's a stiff tape, not the flexible, thin, floppy one, but the stiff metal kind. So as you pull it out, pull it out, pull it out, when you push the button on the tape measure, the tape measure, the tape comes back, it goes and then makes a snapping sound, right? You've all seen those? Do you know what I mean? Okay. So the next technique is to keep on your right side an imaginary tape measure, which represents your mind. This is a technique that Phyllis Crystal teaches that I'll share with you. This tape measure represents your mind, and as you're pulling it out, it represents all the thoughts that you're having. You can take it out all the way if you'd like. It's up to you. But when you're ready to finish with your thoughts, just push the button, hear the whirring of the tape as it comes back, and let it go chack as it, sl as it slams back into the housing. Let's do this now. It takes hardly five seconds. And done. No? For a few moments, your mind is silent. There's a feeling of, ah, not having thoughts. Yeah? Did it work? Okay. The next technique. This is for emotions. This, again, is something developed by Phyllis Crystal. Actually, Swami taught Phyllis all of these techniques, and I'm sharing this with you now. The next technique is to imagine on your left side, the branch of a tree that is sticking out horizontally or near horizontally. And on that tree branch is draped a snake representing your emotions. A snake is there. And the snake is placed in such a way that the head is hanging down and the tail is also hanging down. And the snake is holding, not biting, just holding its tail in its mouth. This works at the subconscious level to allow ourselves to control our emotions. The mind is on the right side, the emotions are on the left side. If you have a problem on the right side of your body, it's usually because of your thoughts. If you have a problem that's happening on the left side of your body, it's usually due to your emotions. Reflection, reaction, resound. This is how it works. So mind, tape measure on the right, snake, emotions on the left. Let's do this now. Imagine a tree branch coming out, there's a snake of any color or type, it doesn't matter. It's wound around the branch, the head and tail are hanging down, and the, take has snaken, has, the snake has taken its tail in its mouth. And done. Feeling of peace ensues. The 
noise of the thoughts and emotions are subdued and there's peace left. I do this practice before I sleep at night and when I wake up, whenever I have to do any type of activity that requires concentration, and definitely before I go into meditation. So, the, so these are simple techniques. The final most important thing is to be careful, what are you taking in through your senses? Because whatever you take in, again, reflection, reaction, resound. It has to reflect somewhere, and oftentimes it reflects in our head as our thoughts and our feelings. And so be careful what you're seeing Practice sense control. Be careful what you view on the TV. Be careful what you view at the movie theater, on your computer screen, on your phone. Be careful what types of conversations you get into. Be careful even the vibration of the places that you go. Swami says avoid bad company, but he also says avoid bad places. All of these things will impact your thoughts. Be careful of the type of food that you're eating. Sattvic food, food that is healthy, fresh, nutritious, without too much of any one particular characteristic, too much spice, too much, too much, much sweet. Uh, a little bit of sweet is okay, but not too much. Too much salt, a little, a little bit of salt is okay again, but not too much, etc. Okay? Let's go ahead and end. I know there's no end to these questions, but there should also be no end to your practice. So we will meet again, uh, I think at uh, 1.45, our tummies will be full. We will all have done the homework, or at least started much of the homework that we've given. We'll continue at that time. Let's end with Om and Three Shantis, please. Shantis.